Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, wads? What the fuck, Adelics? Mark Marin here. This is WTF. This is my podcast. Welcome. Welcome to the show. How are you? I will be in Iowa City, Iowa at the Mission Creek Festival, the Englert Theater. On Friday, April 8th, I will be at the Rococo Theater in Lincoln, Nebraska. On Saturday, April 9th, and I will be at the Arvest Bank Theater at the Midland in Kansas City, Missouri. On uh, Sunday, April 10th, those shows will be a mix of um, some of the new stuff I'm working on and some of the stuff from the more later special. If you haven't seen that and you live in those places, well, maybe wait till I come to watch it. Uh, if you want to watch it, that special is available on Epics On Demand. It's also available now on Hulu and uh, Amazon, my more later special that I was uh, that I'm very uh, proud of, and I, I I'm glad that people are watching it. And again, I appreciate the feedback on it because we live in a media world where only a few people can get the things that you do or know that they're out there. So hearing from you is nice. I I seem that my life has gotten very small in the last six months. It's all working on the show and doing the podcast. I barely watch television. I'm I'm barely abreast of the situation. I know things are going on. I know that there's a charade of a political circus happening. You know, many people tried to pressure me to weigh in, to get involved. Well, look, here's my belief. I don't believe America is, uh, I think it's, it's a troubled country and it's certainly not fair for everybody, but it's not, it is not bad. It is not a bad place to live. There are certainly problems but this framing of uh, let's make America great again. America's pretty fucking great. And I know a lot of people are in trouble and there's a lot of problems. There's systemic problems. There's injustice. There's horrible uh, issues with how things are, are regulated or aren't regulated and you know who's in charge and what greed does and how people are getting fucked. I'm aware of a lot of those, most of those racial problems. I'm, I'm highly aware and abreast of those things that are current of uh, horror in this country and need to be changed. I have my own ideas about you know how to change things, but but it it doesn't matter. It's not it's not the type of show this is. You know I deal with I deal with sadness, existential anger, the frustrations of just being alive, trying to be a compassionate person and know yourself in the world and try to uh, act from your heart if possible. And I believe uh, 
in what's left of democracy to some degree. I believe that if everybody out there truly voted their heart, however broken it is and what you do with that heartbreak, that's uh, that's really up to you and your brain and your conscience. But I think that if everybody went out there and voted what they really believed in their heart, that uh, things could change in the progressive and proper direction for America. Because at some point, America is a great country, but uh, when spectacles like uh, what are happening now are happening, it's fucking embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Sometimes I, I get embarrassed for our political system and I get embarrassed about uh, certain parts of our culture and population. And there's some part of me that thinks, hey, maybe it's time for this country to grow the fuck up, you know, and behave like, uh, like a responsible nation, responsible to each other. People who have beliefs that are unshakable, that's what they're going to do. People who are driven by, by a, a selfish and self-destructive fear out of desperation, they're going to do what they're going to do. But I think people with a little sliver of hope and with a, a, a certain amount of decency and tolerance, if all of you went out there and voted your heart and what you believed in, I think that, uh, that that change can happen and continue to happen. That's what I believe. That's what I... It, it, look, it's no great courage or, or risk for me to say those kind of things in the general way I'm saying it, but I do think that being part of it, uh, whether you think it's bullshit or not, is important. Be part of it. Go do your civic duty. Look, I can't even avoid jury duty. I'm certainly not going to avoid voting. All right, let's talk about the big events in my life. My cat shit in my pants today. That's what I woke up to. My cat shit in my pants. Did I mention Michael Rappaport is on the show today? I should mention who's on the show. Takes me a long time sometimes. I get rambling. But uh, Michael Rappaport, who I met briefly like many years ago at the improv. He was not, uh, not pleasant, very cocky. He was just coming up. And then I ran into him at Sarah Silverman's party. Like, a, like four or five months ago, and it was great to see him. We talked. I've always liked the guy. He's a straight shooter. He's a real New Yorker. I always find him entertaining. I think he's a good actor, and I was happy to have him here in the garage. So he's coming up. But my cat shit in my pants this morning. How does that happen? No, I wasn't wearing the pants. I know it's a, you know, it's probably a good setup for a Groucho-style joke. That was brought to my attention on Twitter. But, but uh, yeah, that's what I woke up to. I put my pants in and like three or four uh, small... Uh, you know, well, cat-sized cat turds fell out of my leg. I felt them with the leg going in. I knew exactly what was going on. I looked over at Monkey and I said, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? You're going to shit in my pants? I've never really received a clearer sort of message that the litter box needed to be changed. <laughs> uh, yeah, he shit in my pants. So that was exciting. What other updates do you need to know? The buzz, the buzz in the office, the turntable buzz, the panic that I was experiencing. <laughs> sort of, a, there's a whistle to it, which is really fucking annoying. I had the electrician check the, uh, the currents at the building and they checked out fine, whatever that means. But the indicator are, after troubleshooting, that all of these receivers these two receivers and this one app were picking up that frequency on some level leads me to believe that the building's fucking grounded in a not a good way and i told the landlord and she's like no i haven't had any complaints well, that's because no one's using stereo equipment and i don't know really what to do with that 
if the building's fucking grounded wrong. Now, there's still the idea that would... Here's my question to you, nerds. And a lot of you guys helped out. You, you sent a lot of things. A lot of people were... The basic one was like, your turntable needs to be grounded. I'm not a moron. I know that. But the question was, was my cartridge, which is a sensitive cartridge, it's a uh, Sumiko Blue Point 2, which is uh, unshielded, uh, was picking up the antenna frequency from the roof. That, that was some of the assumption that I thought. So, like... If, if there's a, a, like a person who works in stereo, like for reels in Los Angeles, and you want to email me and maybe you know, come try to figure this out, because I want to be able to listen to the records you guys send me in my office. You got a better shot at me listening to it if it works there. I don't know if that's incentive. Uh, my buddy Langhorn Slim, Sean Skolnick, apparently had some, uh, some part in designing a hat for Stetson. Because I got this hat in the mail in a beautiful hat box with a card, a little note from Sean saying, look at this, man. I helped uh, design this hat. And it's one of those hats, not a cowboy hat. It's not really a derby, but it's sort of that midway point. It's got sort of a high top rounded with short sides. So it's a, it's a bit of a, a derby, but it's a little higher with a little bit of a wider brim. It's a, a unique thing. It's a high end hat, felt beautiful black hat. And I don't know how you guys feel about hats, but I've bought a lot of hats in my life, a lot of hats of this sort that were not you know, not caps. They weren't baseball hats. I've never been that guy, but fairly dramatic, demanding hats. And I've bought them on my own volition. I've been in stores, hat stores, places that dealt in high-end hats, and I've put them on. And I said, yeah, man, I, I can fucking do this. This is a fucking amazing hat. But... It, it doesn't ever stick. You know, you wear that hat out of that store with a certain amount of confidence, but not as much confidence as you need to carry that hat. And you start to feel it uh, kind of chip away. At you. you start to realize, like, now this hat is drawing not necessarily positive attention. And then you kind of fight with yourself. But I like the hat. There's no reason I can't express myself with this hat. And then you look around, it's like no one else is wearing hats like this. And the people that are wearing hats like that, you probably made fun of, or you probably think look kind of stupid, except for that one or two people like Beck and, you know, maybe a, a few uh, retro 70s rock sort of dudes can pull off that hat. And by the time you get home, you're like, oh, well, this, I like this hat. Yeah, maybe I'll wear it. And then, then it becomes a house hat. So it's a hat you wear around the house. And then it just becomes a hat that you have up in a corner. And you're like, I still like that hat, but I like it on the shelf. I like it hanging on the wall. So I don't know. I don't think I can adjust my entire lifestyle to the hat that Sean sent me. But I do like the hat. And there's part of me that, that wants to wear the hat out there. But I just, I just, I, I, I don't want to be one of those guys where, you know, you can't see past the hat. You know what I mean? I think I've, I'm old enough now to, to realize that maybe I don't need a hat. It's sort of a red flag in a way at my age. It's a reasonably priced midlife crisis. And uh, you're going to look stupid out there. So, so, so I've got a new house hat. <laughs> and uh, I'm going I'm to go put it on right after this podcast. The journey of the hat. But it's a nice enough hat that if I hang it on the wall, it'll, it'll look good as, a, uh, as just a, uh, a wall hat got the house hat that will slowly become a wall hat right now i'm going to talk to michael rapaport it's uh you know there's a lot coming at you you know strap in all right before we go to that conversation with michael i want to mention that uh, he has a podcast called i am rapaport 
So go check that out if this if this uh if this rhythm of what you're about to hear resonates with you. Go to uh go check out I am Rappaport his podcast. Okay. I'll talk, see you on the other side. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grade or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you you get your podcasts. Michael Rappaport. I never give anyone an intro. Like, you know, and I, you know, I've known about you and I've seen you around forever. Did I run into you at that party? Yes. Sarah Silverman's party. She got a good party. It's a good party. I, I didn't stay the whole run, but it's a nice party. It's a good party. It's it's a it's a it's a I see a lot of people there who I only see at that party. So I, I like it. That's a I, that's a good party. And it's say, like a low key celebrity party. And no one's you know what I liked about yeah. the party and I and I told her I was impressed with the party. Nobody was on their phone. Right. Which people, in this day and age is the sign of a good party. And Senator Al Franken showed up. Did he? Sh- I didn't see him. Yeah, I was. That was something else. I was like, "That's Al Franken." Because that- now you know, I know Al for years, and I did Air America with him. But now it's like that's Senator Franken, right? Right, hanging out with the showbiz types, right? right. And then you know, and of course, it's the Sarah Silverman party. Not to say that Senator Franklin had anything to do with it, because I didn't even see him there. Yeah, but you know, everybody was. You know, it's in Los Angeles, openly smoking uh, marijuana and eating stuff yeah. and all that stuff. But it, it's a good party. New York pizza brought in. New York in pizza. From is, Joe's. Yep. Good, pe- good was party. It, do you know, is there good pizza here? Mm, I think there's good pizza. I think the whole pizza culture in general. Uh, <laughs> it puts some thought into it. It's changed. It's like, you know, like now, like there's good pizza here. It's different. I think like pizza in New York is no, is no fucking uh, nothing to be so proud about. Couple. There's a couple. There's got to be a couple. There's good places, but it's not like where it was like, you know, church and state where yeah. it was like just good pizza in New York and then like Mulberry Street opened. And now right. there's all sorts of different kinds of pizzas. Right. There's fancy pizzas. There's wood vegan oven. pizzas. Yeah. Wood oven. Moza. There's all sorts of shit. Where do you go in New York? Do you go? I, I go I go to like you could get a good uh, pizza at, at a local place like a local slice place so I go to my local slice place but I go to Patsy's I like yeah but I'm not waiting on a line for a slice of pizza right I don't give a fuck if God shat it out of his ass <laughs> I'm not going for uh, 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 I'm not waiting online because yeah. there's that whole thing too so but I like Joe's downtown Joe's at, you mean on six Carmine on six that's always that's, good right yeah. I think that's the best one. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I don't know if it's the best. I'm sure there's other ones, but I'm not like a pizza a pizza scavenger. Me neither, but there used to be a place on like 48th right off of Broadway there that was really good. I can't remember what the fuck the name was. They had that grandma slice. Right, 
Right. Which became popular. I right. like that. And now Two Boots opened downtown, which I two didn't realize. Two Boots is good. Two Boots is good. Cornmeal Crust. I remember when the first one opened on Avenue A, I think. Yep. And they put a little one right downtown here. I don't yep. know who goes to it, but no, it was it's pretty good. good. Pete, two Boots is good. I like, but you know, I, I like, but again, I'm not going all out of my way and all that shit for, for any yeah, kind I don't of food. Like, yeah, I won't wait online either. Like I'm for, not waiting online for- You go to Austin? No, I you know I've only been to Austin once and it was just briefly. Why? 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 It seems they like just they should... they have never had me out there. Yeah, for any reason there for was no reason. For any reason, I've never <laughs> no had reason any reason. For, but is, for is, is Rappaport it, to go to Austin? Does it live up to all the expectations and hype? No, but there is. Uh, I was just uh, the reason I brought it up is because there's a barbecue place ah called Franklin's. That's the hipster barbecue place. People wait online three fucking hours. Fuck that shit. How the fuck can I, I can do... kill my own cow barbecue myself for <laughs> in three the time hours. that would take you? All right, so let's go back over because I'm trying to think when I first, you know, I knew you were alive. I guess it was around what the Zebrahead movie. Yeah, Zebrahead uh, was uh, was when I first made my enormous but, splash. But wait, am I mistaken in that you were a stand-up? Because I remember there's some contention. Uh, over the fact, like, who's this guy, Michael Rappaport? Is he a fucking stand-up? What's he doing up there? I don't know him as a stand-up. Right, right. Well, when, when at the time, there was a little contention. My, my stand-up career was short-lived. Uh-huh. So, so, so I came out to Los Angeles in 1989. From New York. From New York. I was 19. And and I started, you know, I I, I never really was like, you know, like a... a uh, you know, I never really considered myself like a stand-up. Like, I didn't understand the whole idea of making an act. I was right. 19. Right. So I would talk a lot of shit, pretty much the same thing I do now. Right. But more unstructured shit talking than I'm actually even doing for you right now. Right. Because right now I have like a beginning, middle, and end to some of my shit, to- shit okay. talk. Okay. Oh, yeah. You've, you've honed it. The I've story. honed my shit talking. The life story. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so as far as like my stand-up, yeah, I was doing stand-up. But I mean, I would host. I, would, I You know, I had my 20 minutes and all that stuff. I didn't know that there was contention, but you know, I felt like- you know, like at that time, with stand-up comedy was like it was like disco. It was yeah. the disco era of stand-up comedy, <laughs> yeah. and there was like you know there was a lot of good stand-ups hanging around, especially the improv, yeah, yeah. which was sure. which my stomp arounds was you know. But were you affiliated? To, were you a relative? Is Claudia your cousin? Claudia is my sister. Claudia, Claudia is, is my is my half sister. Her actual name is Claudia Rappaport, and her stepfather is Mark, Mark Lano. Right. So. But, who owned who owned the improv with Bud with, Friedman at the time? Exactly. So so I mean, but I did my shit there. You know what I mean? Like I would go up on open mic and all that stuff. But I I, I was I was doing my thing, Mark. Like I wasn't a chump. Right. Like, I, I wasn't like you know Chris Rock or Jay Leno. But mother, when I got up there, motherfuckers laughed. Yeah, it was real. I and get at it. the end of the day, it's like you get up there and, and either motherfuckers are gonna laugh. Or they're not going to laugh. But so wait, I don't understand. So wait, so uh, Mark Lanau is not your stepdad? Mark Lanau is my half-sister's stepfather. Oh, so yeah. she remarried. It gets, that's why I try to keep the short version. Yeah, so Claudia, and I would come visit my sister. And, and I would actually come visit her before I even thought about becoming a stand-up comic. When I was 13, I'd where are you, come- Where are you growing up now? Manhattan, New York City. You did? All so, New York, everything. And, and Really? What, what part of New York? East what? side of Manhattan. Really? Yes. So you're a real Manhattan kid? <laughs> My whole life. How yes. old are you? 45. So I look you, 27, right? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so like, even when you were a kid, like when I was younger, so you remember like when New York was like full of drugs and great and you know the disco time and of you're course. running around. Of course. Like, I'm, did you go to CBGB's when you were 13? No, 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 no. That no, wasn't no, your no, thing, no. right? That wasn't my thing. That wasn't my thing. <laughs> I, I mean, I started going to hip hop clubs when I was 15. Oh, there you go. And yeah. it was like, you know, it was like, it was probably more... Like CBGBs than you would think because it was definitely like an underground. Yeah, no, I never knew about the hip hop thing. Where'd you go? I would go to like, 
Union Square, Latin yeah. Quarters had a big uh, uh, hip hop night that was like a big thing. Um, then we started going like to a place in Harlem called the Rooftop. These yeah. are like sort of quintessential hip hop spots before, like the spots before that. And like, you'd see live shows, live shows. Or do you remember who you saw? Shit, I saw everybody. I saw Bismarcky. I saw fucking Big Daddy Kane. I yeah. saw you know KRS. I mean, I saw like you know it was yeah. emerging. You yeah, know? yeah. And, you know, and 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 in the clubs that I went to, there was no um, there was no alcohol served. So any All ages, ages yeah. so I was in there as fifteen with grown men, and there was fights, and there was girls with fat asses, and yeah. it was a wild thing to see. I was fifteen years old, and you know, people would be getting the shit beaten out of them, and music would be playing, and people would get carried out, girls would get the earrings snatched, and. <laughs> You know, I love the music, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and we just went one weekend, and I was like, we just kept going. We so kept did going. you grow up, you, what were your parents? Are they in show business? No, my father uh, was the general manager of a radio station, speaking of, of disco, of, of a radio station in New York called WKTU Disco 92. Yeah. Was the first station in New York to play disco music. In the 70s? In the late 70s. Well, in the 70s, they played mellow, and then in like 78, 79... They, he was the one who said we should play disco. They went from the bottom of the charts to the top of the charts. So your dad was on the cutting edge of all that dance interior shit, Studio 54, all, all they that. They called him Disco Dave. Oh, my God. You know, and he was just a Jew from the east side trying is to he, raise a family. Is he still around? Oh, yeah, he's still around. Did he's he have around. his time? Did he party? He I'm, he had his time and he partied more than I think he he shares me. But you know he was he was a he was a single dad. You know I mean I was with my father uh, most of the time. But my mother my mother and my father divorced when I was young. Um, so but he was just a guy you know raising his kids. But he had his nights at Studio Fifty Four. <laughs> yeah, and, you know he was doing his thing and he was running the hottest radio station in New York City at the time. So it was a big deal, you know. And it was disco and it was Studio Fifty Four and cocaine and I don't know what the fuck he was doing. Yeah, but, but- it's it's interesting though because if he was running the station, you know the relationships are sort of uh, you got you had access. Yes. Sometimes you got free shit. Yes. You know, like I'm sure it's like we want a car. I got I got a guy right. right. Like, Cars, it, sneakers. Yeah. There was all the, the sneaker thing. <laughs> was cool because the the radio station had yeah. some deal with a a, a, a non-chain sneaker place in in new york called fuck on the run yeah and they had a deal with them so i'd go in there and get free sneakers sometimes uh, and as a kid it was like a you know i was like yo i could go and get free sneakers and shit. it's important yeah so so it was it was cool and you know and and because of he worked at the radio station you know how i got exposed to you know all sorts of music but hip-hop is like in 1979 he brought home uh um uh, um, a test pressing of the Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight. It was yeah. a promotional copy. Right. And he was like, we're going to start playing this on the radio. It's called rap music. Yeah. And that was it for me. Like, that I was... fell in love. I was nine. I fell in love. And it was like, you know, at the time, there was no internet. There was no... Oh, plus, I was nine. So when I got the record, it was like, you lived in the record. Yeah. You would play it over and over and yeah. over and over. And it was so unusual. You know all the words? Of course, of course, of course. I mean, I, it, it, I of course, rappers delight. I know, I knew the, and there was a long version. It was a thirty-three inch, so I knew the, uh, I knew the long version, and there was a short. But there was like a fifteen or twenty-minute version of Rappers Light, and we, me and my brother, and then finally he bowed out, and my father was like, "Turn that shit off." I was like, "You brought it home to me, you know." But I just like it was like a love affair. Like I fell in love yeah. with that music yeah. as a kid, innocently. So. Yeah, and it was just you and your brother and your father. Me and my brother, my father, and my sister Claudia. Yeah. Who started this whole fucking?
fucking thing. Yeah. Um, she lived with her mom, and then she she was an actress. My sister, she she was actually uh, you know, a teenage actress. She 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 started acting early. Uh, she got a part. She went to music and art in New York City. Right. And her mother was an, is an actor. Joanne right? too. Yeah. yeah. She was an actress. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And she's still alive. And and but my sister got a part on the TV show Knots Landing. Right. She played uh Diana on Knots Landing. Right. Um, and that's kind of like how. Uh, you, you started know, coming out. I started coming out visiting my sister, but when I was thirteen, the the the, 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 the what I was telling you about yeah. the improv, I would come visit. I didn't know what anything was, but she would say, "Let's go to the improv," and I saw everybody perform. I saw Seinfeld, Leno, um, Keenan Ivory Wayans was the yeah. first person I saw on stage. I saw Arsenio. I saw, I saw Eddie Murphy. I saw Robin Williams when there would be four people in the. St- I mean. We, I, Every single person, and I was just a kid. How, what but year was that? Like this a, is eighty three. So they it was all happening. That it was, was the, like the middle of the boom kind of. Yeah, and and so it was like a, a unique thing. Like Eddie Murphy. I mean, everybody would come to the Improv. It was like the spot. It wasn't fifteen comedy clubs like they were in Los no, Angeles. No, no, is it? There was only two. It was com- comedy, comedy store, store and the Improv, and it was like sort of like you know church and state. It yeah, was like no, you're I either know. a comedy store guy yeah, or an yeah, Improv yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was Improv. I was like in my head, I was like fuck the comedy store. Like I hang out at the Improv. I'm thirteen years old. <laughs> But you know, like, and Claudia's older than you. Claudia's older than me. Yeah, she she will tell for the for this sake because yeah. she's probably gonna listen. To this, we'll say she's younger than me. Okay, but she used to host there too. After a while, you know, I don't she know used when. To host there, yeah, yeah. She used to do some comedy. Yeah, I remember yeah. her. I mean, I know her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she. I've, I've hung out with her before. Did you fuck my sister. I did not fuck okay, your sister. Right. I did not fuck okay, your okay, sister. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but you know, like it was. It was just an exciting time, and it exposed me. At the time, I had dreams of being in the NBA. I wanted to be a basketball player. You're a tall guy. Tall guy. Could you play? You know, in my head. Yeah. My, my, my head <laughs> was a lot of things going on. But you on. never wanted to rap? Never wanted to rap. I was just a fan. Just a fan. Never wanted to rap. Never wanted to be an actor. Never wanted to be a com- comedian. Like, I was going to be in the NBA. <laughs> At 13, but you liked comedy. I loved it, you know, but I didn't know what it was, but... You met Bud and everybody? I mean... Of course. Everybody. Because I remember, like, after Zebrahead... Like that I, was 89 I, now. Right, but I know. But I just remember walking into the improv and you were, like, holding court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, I mean, and also, I had been there. I'd been hanging out there. Since you were 13. Uh, since I was... Literally, <laughs> since I was 13. But at 80, 89, it was like, you know... You fucking not quite, but yeah. But you you weren't around there. Um, no, nah, I wasn't. They never really put me on that much. One time I went on uh, around probably ninety two or something. I was and, there, and Mark was there, yep. and I was a very angry guy at that time, very angry comic, and I did my shit, and it was like it was uncomfortable. And I walk off, and Mark standing there by the door, going out to the hallway, and he looks at me, he goes, "Very uplifting," <laughs> and that's that's saying something coming from him. <laughs> yeah, he was mocking me, right, right, right. But he's all right. Yeah. So, all right, so you're 13 and you're going back and forth. I'm going back and forth. I'm getting kicked out of New York City public schools and private schools. Really? Oh, yeah. Why? Are you a criminal? I wasn't. I was so. Dis- the only thing that I was was disruptive. Yeah, I was sure. so disruptive that I got kicked out of PS158, which is a public school in the third grade in the 70s. <laughs> so, you got to be. I think back now, like to be, to get kicked out of a public school in the 1970s, in the, you know, it's in New York City. You got to be such a fucking pain in the ass. There was no fire starting. There was no violence. Right. There was no anything. Like it was just, just old a, school smart ass. Just an old like on steroids. Like mm. I was like a fucking pain in the ass. Like, I have no memory of it. Right. But I just think back. Like how do you get kicked out of the school in the third grade? Like yeah, that's yeah. an accomplishment. Right. So, sure. So you put that on your resume. Exactly. Like you know. And then it was just I went to one school to the next school, and then my father tried me a private school, and that was a waste of money. He said, where'd, go you, to, where'd you go? 
I went to since you had a state or not? I, no, he sent me in school. I went to. I mean, I went to I went to McBurney. I went to a school called Robert Louis Stevenson, which was like for like you know um, middle class kids. With, like it was like basically like a high end place to send your kids that are like on the path to nowhere. Yeah, but it was New York, and it was a time. But like I just the one thing that did keep me focused is that I was going to be in the NBA. Yeah, so there was no drinking. There was no. I didn't care about girls. <laughs> I didn't care about anything. I just played ball, stayed out of trouble, talked a lot of shit. I, I loved. Um, I like the the idea of a school for kids who are on their way to nowhere. They still have them. I know. Like my, you know, they have private schools where they're they're like, you know, we're they're gonna get you out of high school, right? And the parents have money, and they're gonna pay for you to like, you know, do whatever the fuck you want. They liberal learning, different yeah, yeah, ways of yeah. learning. You'll you'll get. Hopefully, you know, you'll, you'll work out somehow. If you get kicked out of those schools, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> Like, because they're being paid a lot of money to keep you. So, like, the threshold is high. Jail's they, the next step. Jail or, like, you know, rehab or, like, forest programs right, and stuff right. like that. Like, you know, wilderness <laughs> like, shit. Here's your gear. Right. Hit the mountain. Exactly. Because right. if you get kicked out of that shit. And mm. it's, it's always, you know, more privileged kids than 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 not. So, yeah. you know, like, you know, my family, you know. So, anyway, I, I, got, I wound up getting kicked out of one of those schools. So, that was in the eighth grade. In the ninth grade, my father sent me back to... Wagner Junior High School, public school, and then tenth grade. I tried to live with my sister. I went to Fairfax. Oh, out here for a year. I was in the tenth, but I, I just missed New York and missed my friends too much. And then I went to Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn. And and if you that school that year was voted in the Daily News in the New York City the worst public school in New York City. Yeah, which is means a lot. Yeah, because I mean it was like a fucking riot zone. <laughs> Did you literally get out of there? They asked me not to come back. <laughs> they didn't kick me out, but they said, you what know. What the fuck were you doing? I just was a motherfucker. And then at this point, I thought I was hot shit. I had a bunch of wild, restless, you know, thug friends. Yeah. I was the only white kid in the entire school. And this is a rough school. And it wasn't like, well, you must be a tough guy. Like, I just had a lot of friends. And, you know, everybody had their thing. Like, some dudes could fight. Some dudes could play ball. I could talk shit. Like, yeah. I could snap. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I could yeah. talk shit. So I could play ball. I, I you know, I, I I was just, you know, I know yeah. how to use my mouth. That yeah, was yeah. my weapon. Like, and if you, you never got arrested? I got arrested once in 1989 um, for some loitering bullshit. Nothing nothing to be proud of. <laughs> loitering? Loitering in a mall and, you know, like, and, and then... It was just some. It was like a quick arrest. It was like yeah. I got arrested because the reason why they out here in Virginia. <laughs> it's nothing to be nothing good. And then actually, yeah, but not nothing. I I got a couple of little small things like that, but nothing like you know worth mentioning. Like no stories. You no know what story saying? behind getting arrested in Virginia. Nineteen Lloyd. It was literally loitering. And though I think the only reason why they arrested me because I didn't have ID. And what was were you doing me. in Virginia? V- visiting my friends that were quote unquote going to college down here. No. You know, mingling in, in, in you know, in, in small time yeah. uh, drug dealing. Yeah. Small time. Yeah. Uh, doing dumb shit. Yeah. <laughs> doing dumb shit that Disco Dave's son and June Brody's son shouldn't be doing. Right. Doing dumb shit. Yeah. Doing really stupid shit that when I think about this little period of time, I shudder of of what could have wind up happening to me. So you got, did you somehow get scared straight or you just fucking found show business? You know what? Um, if you see you see my my left ear, Mark. Yeah. See my ear. Yeah. I got into a fight with 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 a, a, like a street fight, and 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 with with a bunch of dudes that were were really that were really bout it bout it, and got my ear bit off, 
And and if you see like you know like the way the shape of my ear, yeah. Like and 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 at this point, I knew I wasn't going to the NBA. No no college scholarships had come in like I had dreamed really? and practiced the, for the, hours and hours. For the, the guy who got kicked out of school every year, there yeah. was no college. Scholarship. No, for the for the six foot two Jewish kid from the Upper East Side of Manhattan, for, strangely smart ass big mouth motherfucker who averaged eleven points. That was his high. No colleges came <laughs> knocking down my door. I don't know why to this day. I feel like a lot of the Big East schools missed out. <laughs> But that incident, I called my father. I was like, Dad, I've been in the hospital for the last day. And, and, and I got my, you know, I told him. And he was like, you know, listen to me. And, and, and he said to me, this is a true story. He said to me, I, I'm afraid the next time you call me, somebody's going to tell me you got a bullet in you. Yeah. And, and I remember, I don't have a great memory, but I distinctly like remember like, like, like a shiver going through me. And I was like, that, that really, like in my head, that Possibly. could happen. Right. And then I actually came back to Los Angeles um, and, 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 and got an apartment for $325. What was it? So what, how old were you when the fight happened? 19. Yeah. And, and then I came to Los and Angeles. And you were just hanging out with some bad guys and the shit went down? Like, I mean, ru- like real rough dudes. Like real rough dudes. But were those the dudes you were hanging with regular at that time? Oh, yeah. Oh. I was hanging with rough guys. Yeah. And, and, and I was taken care of and protected. But like I was hanging, you know, like my friends were like all from uh, the Brownsville section of Brooklyn, which yeah. is the ungentrifiable section of Brooklyn and, and Harlem. And they were street dudes. Like, yeah. and, and I, you know, fancied myself a street dude, but I was, I was fucking, I was not, but I was around them. Yeah. And it would literally started over some like, what are you looking at shit? And the next thing you know, we're like in a four on three street fight and people are throwing rocks and throwing punches. And, and I, I was actually getting the better of this dude and he bit my ear. And at this point I had a looming thought that I would be a stand up comic and and while he was biting my ear, I said to him, "You're biting my fucking ear." I swear to God. And and, and as I pulled away from him, I touched my ear and I couldn't feel it because it went numb. But I, no bullshit. The first thing that popped in my head was, "You can't be a stand-up comic with one ear." <laughs> like that's no bullshit. Like I was like, "How am I going to be a stand-up?" I comic? thought you were going to say like, "I'm going to get ten minutes of material." No, out no, of no, 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 no. Like I had never <laughs> even tried it at this yeah. point. Right. So then you know, I'm so be the one ear guy. They, I, <laughs> I should have went with that. If, see, that's why I wasn't a good stand-up. I had you things got to, most of your ear. Did no, they have I, to put it back yeah, on? Well, they had, I got a skin graft. Oh, all right. So, so you know, uh, <laughs> anyway, that, that kind of woke me up. And, yeah, and, that thing your dad said. Like, if you know it and you feel it, and you know, you, you know he says something like that, and you realize you look at your life and where it is, and it, it lands, that's terrifying. And it, and it was great. Luckily, it didn't go any further, because yeah. I had no business doing the shit that I was doing. Um, and I was, you know, and I just was... You know, I was yeah. young, man. Yeah, I was I so am. fucking dumb. Like when you when you're 19, you it, it's the dumbest part of my life. Yet the time that I thought I was the smartest in my life. Like course, now I know how course. dumb I am. Yeah, and and I know like what my parameters are. But at the time, I thought I knew everything. Yeah, and I was untouchable, and Is I it? was dumb as shit, and and wasn't tough, and I wasn't. I was just dumb. Isn't it weird though? You have kids now. Two sons, yeah. You have two sons. 15 and 13. Really? Yeah. Already? When yeah. did that happen? When I was 30. <laughs> Do the math, Mark. Come I know, on, I get, I'm with you. I know, it's crazy, though, but, right? Yeah, because, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, you're one of those guys I think I know, but I don't know. No, I know no, you're no. From movies. No, I'm just playing. But, uh, but like, you know, when I look back on it, or I see, even see young people doing comedy now, and they're, like, they're saying all this shit, and there's part of me that's like, nah, that's not gonna... That's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. What are you thinking? Right. But you, when you're in it, do you, even if an old guy says to you, like, what the fuck are you doing? You're stupid. You're like, right. Right. You know, who, what do you know? Exactly. And now you're an old guy and you're like, nah, yeah. I know. And yeah. now I have teenage sons. How are they, they doing? They're doing good. You know, like they're, they're, they're ahead of me. 
Um, you know, they're they're they're, they're doing <laughs> Wait, well in what way? In, just in way? terms of where they are in their lives. You know, I mean, good students and they're, whatnot. They're, they're they're good students. They're getting there. I mean, they have the Rappaport name and they're boys. So you know, they, there's I've sort of a genetic disposition to be a fuck up. <laughs> but but in general, they're they're good kids and they haven't gotten kicked out of school yet. Yeah. So, so let's just put they're sweet kids and 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 you know. And they're good. They're good boys. So you move out here. You get an apartment for three hundred bucks. Three hundred twenty-five bucks. Yeah. The twenty-five changes the game. So if you say three hundred, it's it was three twenty-five. It's nineteen eighty-nine. So it's okay. Three twenty-five. You know, it wasn't three seventy-five. I don't think I could have afforded. Where was that? It was actually it was it was it was one of these apartments that sort of talked about by comics. It was like this. It was on Carlton Way in Hollywood, and a lot of other comics lived there, like J. Anthony Brown. Yeah. Jimmy Woodard. Um, I remember Jimmy Woodard. Yeah, what there happened was, to that guy? Uh, Jimmy's, I think, still he's still around doing yeah. his thing. But there was, there was, it was like the comic place. I started doing my my, my little stand up, and and you know, f- uh, I was able to 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 pay the rent. And you're twenty. I'm 19. Yeah, so you're doing mostly at the improv. Well, at that point, actually, I didn't start doing stand up. Like, I didn't make any money in, in, in for about a year. A year. I mean, we're talking like twenty five dollars, fifty dollars. You work another job. Yeah, I was a messenger. Yeah, a driving messenger. Yeah, and 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 uh, and which which was actually fun because it helped me learn the city because I didn't know I had a sure. I didn't know how to drive. Had you Thomas guide? Thomas guide. Yeah, and I and I would deliver scripts to like actors and agencies. It was a fucking messenger. You'd have like you know packages and Did you and meet go- some guys. I remember that I, I delivered a script to the guy from Dukes of Hazard, and he came out, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's a dude from Dukes of Hazard." But like at the t- like I was like, you know, he came out and got like the package. I think it was a script, but that was like a big deal. Like, yeah. yo, that's the dude from Dukes. Not that I gave a fuck about Dukes of Hazard, but I went to his, and I was like in my head, I was like, "Yo, I know where the guy from Dukes of Hazard lived." <laughs> right. The, the got- blonde headed dude, Schneider, I think yeah, his name yeah, is yeah, John yeah. Schneider. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Did some um, singing too, I think that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I, but I, you know, I would see people, but I wasn't impressed. You know, like I wasn't, you know, whatever. The 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 the, the good the job was good, but I kept that that messenger job for about a year, a year and a half. And you had family out here, and you got along with Mark. You could eat at the Improv. If I could you eat wanted. the Improv. Yeah, and 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 the cost of living was just so cheap. Then. Yeah, and my apartment three twenty five. It's a yeah. fucking shithole. And um, my mother gave me a used car. Yeah, and you know I was off and running, and and I was and at this point I was going to be the next Eddie Murphy. In my head, I was going to be Eddie Murphy. Yeah, that's like what I was going to be. But I had no sort of plan or how to get there, and I was not a great stand up comedian. Uh, nor did I understand what it takes to become a great stand-up comedian. And then after about a year, year and a half of doing stand-up, I would go on late or real early. Right. Like, I was never prime time. Yeah, of course. You know, uh, uh, a casting agent saw me doing stand-up, and, and they were casting the movie Zebrahead, and they were like, yo, you want to come in and audition for this movie? And 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 at the time, like, that's like, like, I was like, Zebrahead was like, like it was like perfect time. It was the perfect storm. Like yeah. it was like the perfect part, right? At the perfect time, and 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 when I read the script, I was like, I'm going to get this part. Like well, I knew in my like head, your life. It was like my life. It was it was a, a softer version of my life. Yeah. But like I related to the whole culture, the music, the sort of outsider aspect of it all, and the interracial and yeah. And at the time, like I was like, I, I flew myself to New York. I auditioned, and it was a small movie. You know, yeah. it wasn't like a. You know, a big movie, and, right. and and I auditioned and I auditioned, and I was like in my head, I was like, "There's no way I'm not getting this this part." Well, you, yeah, and you did right, and, and I got the part, and it that and you had more than the movie, you got you got sort of uh, 
notice. Yeah, yeah. And 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 then I was an actor. And then I I, I was like, I'm not doing stand up anymore. I'm an actor. I quit because you know. And then I, re- I remember like Adam Sandler and you know Ben Stiller and Sarah Silverman yeah. and Dave Schwartz. I don't do this shit no more. Fuck stand up comedy. And yeah. I, I quit. I'm an actor. And and you know I I made like. $27,000 before taxes but like yo you're 20 21 years old that's big make, that's yeah. fucking huge and you think you're on your way I think I'm on my way and you were kind of I was kind and I bought a Honda Accord and I was like yo this is it you know like <laughs> and and you know and I, and I you know fortunately I started working and, like I know you're still frugal like yeah, yeah I bought an Accord yeah, I'm no, a practical guy no I, I was always good with money yeah. I was always good with money Um, until I got divorced but that's a whole other fucking yeah. subject that, that, yeah, I know that one you know that one right yeah I do yeah. Yeah. What from the mother of your kids? I'd want to even. I got. Yeah. I got divorced once, and that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. It's over though. It, we, you know, there's the kids are still alive, and and you know, just yeah, child. There's still. Yeah. There's you got to deal with it. There's still bill bills to be paid. Yeah, I get you. Were, were you divorced? I was, but I got no kids. I was divorced twice. Oh second, shit! The second one hurt because I had some money. Fuck! It hurts when you got money, but I imagine if you have kids, it's a whole other ballpark. Yeah. You know, you well, you know what? I don't understand because you, you seem like you're a smart dude, and you, and and also I need to ask you: Was the president President sitting right where I'm yeah, sitting. Yeah, right there. Wait a minute. Yeah. Right where I'm sitting. Right he here. was sitting in here. Yeah. When he walked in, was he like, this is a fucking hovel? Like, yeah. did he, like, has he been in a place like this since what he, he's been what president? What he said exactly was, a lot of pictures of you around here, uh, sort of narcissistic, isn't it, Mark? So and he took a you, shot at me right out of the gate. And were you like, oh shit, this isn't going we're well? On, no, no, no. He was making a joke. I did, and he, he was very relaxed. You listened to it. it was very no, relaxed. I've heard it. Yeah. Were you tripping out like the pre- like when he? Yeah, dude. I mean, I had fucking you know Secret Service all over the place. There was LAPD here. They tented my driveway. We're waiting. We see his helicopters coming over. I mean, he's a fucking president. It's not a casual event. Got five people on headsets out there. It was nuts. Gets out of the motorcade, comes up through that gate right where at the end of this the same gate that I walked through. Right, and I'm standing in front. They. Talk told me to wait here for him. He walks in with all these people coming up the driveway, this staff and everything. I didn't even see him. And all of a sudden, out of out of the crowd, I see Mark. And there's Obama waving at me. And I'm like, Mr. President. Did chills go through yes. you? Yes. Yes. That's crazy. Chills went through me knowing that I was sitting in the same spot. This is his cup. I put a little glass dome on his cup. That's left fucking his cool. Cup. That's that fucking insane, cool. dude. Like, did you sage the place or like? Because I'm not saying, and I'm not saying any disrespectful way, Mark. But it's got like a, it's got a lived-in smell, and not bad, not good. <laughs> well, musty. It's got a, just it's got a lived-in yeah. smell. But I mean, this is where well, it they, all happened. Yeah, they swept it. You know, they took all. They the swept stu- it in here. Yeah, they took like they took things that looked dangerous off the desk here, like that hammer and the knife. Did you did you ever in all of your podcasting ever imagine that? As good and as revered as you are, and it's and it's so so much of a a staple and, and sort of a, like you know like a monumental pillar of podcasting. Did yeah. you ever even think, even that that would even be remotely something that could happen? Like no. you'd be interviewing no, I the mean, president I, of the United States. Like no, like, it was crazy. I mean, I like I, I even I had done political talk radio years ago, right. but like even then, it like to get a president just never happened. And I never set out to get him. I never, I don't even do politics anymore. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, but I had no idea. And then people were like, well, how are you going to follow that? I don't know. I got Rich Voss on. <laughs> Michael Rappaport's coming on. <laughs> but what else are you going to do? Right. You know what I mean? I don't want to interview candidates. It was right. an amazing event. I was thrilled that, you know, he thought this would be a good outlet for him to talk to people 
about himself, which right. he did. And, and from from everything I've heard, there was not much backlash negative from either side. Why you know, should there be? It was a great interview. Well, because there is a bunch of assholes on both sides. That, like, right. they, they don't shut up. Right. And there's always a fucking problem. But a lot of people are like, I, fuck, I forgot how much I like that guy. Right. They're like, yeah, now I know why I voted for him. Why can't right. he stay there? Right. You know? And then, then there were people that are like, never liked him, but that was great. Right. Yeah, so it worked out. Did you did you were did you find yourself like when you were looking at him were like was it surreal and like were you like ever thrown or like were you like going through like did you ever sort of like feel totally relaxed or were you always sort of like on cloud nine of it like you know like well, I, probably right now that you're interviewing me there's probably a nervous excitement right of yeah, course yeah just right. like when obama was here that's what i'm saying so <laughs> did it ever go away like you feel like i feel like you've relaxed into the regular mark Marin, but with obama did it ever go away well i was i was pretty open and pretty you know kind of vulnerable and nervous but i also knew that i wanted to do what i do so you know i wore my plaid shirt right and but i i prepared more than i would otherwise because right. i had a tight hour right and there was some things we had to cover and there was other things I wanted to get to. I wanted to frame it so he didn't get lost in politics or it didn't get too wonky. Right. And we, you know, we stay. I wanted him to connect with me. Right. So that happened pretty quickly. Like he disarmed me pretty quickly. Made some jokes, and very quickly he's sitting there, and I'm like, I see a guy there. There's a guy there. Right. And he was connected. That's he was what attentive. I felt like I heard. Like yeah. I felt like I heard the the, the guy. Yeah. And that and that happened. So once that started <laughs> happening, cool. I mean, if you listen to it, like ten minutes in, I'm calling a man, and you know, and I'm finishing his sentences. So there was. You know, there was a comfort there and, you know, and he and he's very adaptable in that way. But he, I really felt like he was present right. and it was a guy. And it was, I you know, pr- pretty, pretty quickly. I stopped thinking about everything that was going on outside. You, you, you were able to you were able to like zero right, in. Right. Because I did. I had I had questions and right. I don't usually. Right. And I couldn't just fly by the seat of my <laughs> pants on that one or else. You know, I risk having an incomplete interview, and I think I covered everything I wanted to cover. Really. Nah, it was good. It was good. Like so. So now that you did uh, uh, Obama, yeah, did interviewed Obama. Um, like who who is like the top three people aside from this? You could check me off. Yeah. Who's the top three people? Uh, 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 um, that you would want to get get to now. Well, there's a lot of people even in show business. I but like if you to- could pick three. Like if you were like these would be the three of your favorites. Yeah. Albert Brooks would be great. Oh, that would be cool, right? Uh, you know, there's part. I really, I, I, I want to talk to Lily Tomlin about oh, the shit. old days. Okay, you know, it'd be. I think it'd be pretty exciting to talk to like, you know, Coppola, right? Of course. I don't know, man. It, 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 there's always people that that uh, like. I talked to Bill Friedkin uh-huh. the other day. Yep. And like in my mind, like sometimes because I've run through my Rolodex, right. So now we get pitch people, and like someone like Freaking, of course I want to fucking talk to right. Bill Freaking, right? Directed the French Connection, right? He was here for three fucking hours. That's that crazy. So like I, if I'm interested, it doesn't matter where they come from, right? Politicians, right. I'm not so interested in. Right, I hear you. Yeah, would you would of course Trump would be fun, right? I guess, but he would just steamroll me. What are you going to do with that guy? I mean, like he's going to blow through me. Like people say that. Does he blow through, or is he just? Is he? He's talking bullshit, right? Well, I mean, yeah, he is. I a listen shit to him, talker. and I'm like, I feel like I could be the president. Right. If this motherfucker's taking it that far, like he doesn't know shit. I don't know shit. He just talks some fucking random greasy shit. Yeah. And he's just like, I'm like, yo, I could do this. Like that's the thing that I think is almost good about him. Yeah. Running. Yeah. This motherfucker makes it feel like anybody could be president. Like, this motherfucker doesn't know anything more or less than I do. He has no, like, I've never heard somebody double talk so well. Right. Like, he's just, like, doesn't answer the questions and, like... Yeah, he works the room. He works the room and he he makes bullshitting attainable. Yeah. 
But I don't know if that's good or bad in politics. But I'm like, I'm gonna run for something. Like well, I would be the fucking. I'd be a fuck. I th- I seriously feel like I could be the mayor of New York. Yeah. If this fucking guy could run for new uh, po- president, I could at least be the mayor. What do you mean? Of New so York? Schwarzenegger was the fucking governor of California. Reagan was the fucking president. I mean, you know, actors have done. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's possible. It's possible. But yeah, no, but I, I don't know what I do with him because like there's like here's the problem. And even with Obama, but not not so much when I talk to him, is that they have an agenda. And if they have an agenda, right. everybody sort of has an agenda. Right. Uh, so like, you know, that agenda, like you said, the ability to deflect con- uh, questions and deflect conversation to sort of service what you want to talk about anyways mm. is annoying. Mm. So, you know, like I knew like the, with Obama, they didn't tell me they didn't they, they didn't give us questions. They they give us final edit. They knew he he's a pro. Right. So like anything that right. guy, you're not going to trip up Obama. That's right. So anything they don't want to answer, they're just going to be like, well, that's a that's a good question. I'm going to talk about something else. They're going to take you down a fucking lake. Yeah, that's right. You're going right. to be down a lake, that's and then by it. the time you realize you're at that lake, yeah. you're going to be like too far to hike yeah. up. You're going to be all and like and you're going to be on a pond somewhere. Right. Yeah. So I don't I don't really want to deal with the the campaign. What were you saying though? We were talking about divorce. You said I'm a smart guy. I've been married twice. Oh oh, oh I don't know. We were talking about divorce, uh, child child well, yeah, support. Yeah, but yeah, I told oh, you no, the reason. I was going to ask you, Coach. So you don't have kids because child support. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to uh, uh, say or not say whether I deal with this, but yeah. just in general. Yeah. And you would think, what does a random person bringing up child support? He's probably dealing with. It, but I'm not going to say either right. way. But child support. I just want to throw this out there. See, but you don't know this, but I figured you were probably smarter than me. Is a motherfucker yeah. because with child support, you get forced to pay a certain amount of money each month, and there's no. Um, proof of receipt uh-huh. on where that fucking money is going. Right. And I thought, because I like your point of views on things, if you had, had experienced that, you could really break that down. Yeah. Because it's a motherfucker. And as far as like, I don't know if it's state by state or a national thing, but like, I feel like the Second Amendment and the child support laws don't change. <laughs> Those are the only fucking two things that change. I like think iPods improve, cars improve, <laughs> but those motherfucking things, child support. So and, I, but I think your issue is. Uh, and this it, has nothing to do with me. It's a no, cousin, a friend okay, of mine. All right, so your friend, I think the issue he's dealing with is uh, the basic sort of like, what's she doing with the fucking money? Why is there no <laughs> proof of purchase? Where's that fucking money going? Again, this has nothing to do with I me. I understand. But may, I just heard a guy talking in the coffee shop down the street. I, I know. I'm with you on that, and I feel bad for that guy. Uh, yeah, me too. I don't even yeah. know his name. <laughs> but the, th- the truth of the matter is, is like, I guess you could ask the kid, where's the new shoes that you, so your right. mother said that she right. got? Your fucking, your, your, yeah. your, your, your pants look too small, <laughs> yeah, but, and you look thin. You yeah. don't seem like you're yeah. eating good. I, I don't understand. I sent her money. Where's yeah. the fucking money going? I, I understand. And why don't you have like a seven foot Christmas tree? You got that bullshit yeah. Christmas tree. And why, why is she driving a new car? I yeah. mean, and then not, not, not my not kid. Not me, the other not, kid. The, the guy, guy at the coffee Starbucks, shop. Yeah. Right. No, I, I know. Like, I I'm I guess I dodged that bullet. But all of that shit, <clears throat> as soon as lawyers are involved, uh, you know, it's a no-win game for anybody. It's fucked up. Yeah, I, yeah. And those no-good fucking judges, yeah. they truly do judge you. Yeah. They, ju- they judge you. <laughs> their job. Yeah, I know. But, I, you know, until you're actually judged by a real judge, yeah. you, you've never been judged. <laughs> like, so, like, you know, you could be like, well, that girl judged me. My boss judged me. Yeah. No, until you're in there with that no good judge, and he's really fuck, and he's seen it all. Yeah, all like, of it. Like there's not like all your fucking like rhetoric, all your bullshit. It means nothing you can't to this shit guy. Talk a judge, a judge, because they're like, all right, that's fine, but let's talk about the issue at hand. And he's gonna do it in three to five seconds, and you're not gonna know what the fuck happened to you <laughs> until you're at the fucking bank pulling out money, 
And you you might as well just be in Vegas just gambling it away because it's just it's going nowhere. Yeah, you're, you're the lawyer. Yeah, there's more paperwork. You Those know, fucking no good lawyers yeah, too. Yeah, I know. I know. You know what got me is the disclosure process. Right. That killed me. Like I was like, you know, I you know I don't have kids, but I'm like I'm right. I you know I I have a just fucking fight here. And then they have you do. We need all of your phone bills. For 20 years, whatever the fuck it is, I've never been more organized in my life. I was at Kinko's three hours a day putting shit together for her dumb lawyer, not realizing that all their, it's a fucking shakedown. It's, it's a, a fucking shakedown. shakedown. And then you, you, you're you at Kinko's for three hours, yet your court session's like 36 seconds. Yo, and you don't even go. They just You get a piece of paper that says, you know, that it was filed for $2,000. It's motherfucker. Oh, you mean... The lawyer bills? Yeah. That's a fucking... See, that's what I don't understand. Those motherfucking lawyers... Yeah. Those divorce, that's a show. On, bo- on both sides. They're fucking scumbags. The they more want... you argue, the more the happier they exactly. are. Exactly. They just want to keep going. Yeah, and, the, and your lawyer is acting like your therapist, yeah. but he's really just going ka-ching, yeah, that's ka-ching. A, oh, sure, sure. And, I guess we can try that. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, you no, fuck her. I don't like her. And then, well, what do you think of her lawyer? And he's, oh, we're going to game plan. It's like he thinks he's fucking Bill Belichick that's and it's right. the Super No, right. it's just a bunch. Then, it's a then, fucking then, racket. Then, then after that, you know, they go home and they call the other lawyer. Like, how you doing? I'm right. good. They're probably fucking each other yeah, the two lawyers. somehow somehow so, so, yeah. shake that that but that's the operative word for me with that with all that stuff is that really does become a shakedown and the only way it ends is when the guy with the money goes all right i'm done i'm done i've had enough i've <laughs> I submit you put me in You're the right. figure four i got it you win i can't take it anymore exactly exactly and then all that money you spent being righteous it's like, why the fuck? Because any motherfucker, I'll tell you this right now, any guy who's been through it before will tell you right to your face, pay her. Just give her what the fuck she wants. Off the top. Just pay her. Because when those, what are they, what is it, L-E-S-Q's? What's the thing for a lawyer? Esquires. When they get involved, yeah. that's when the yeah. fucking party's over. Yeah. And yeah. you think, and then you think you're like in some sort of fight, but it ain't the thriller in Manila. No, no. <laughs> it, it, it ain't Pacquiao versus Mayweather. No, no, it no, ain't no, Rousey no, versus no, the no, other girl. No. It's a fucking slaughter. It's fixed, and the guy with the money's going to lose. Yeah, Don King's coming in for the fucking fix. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, but I, you're I, all right, though. I'm all right. And I can't complain. Right. The kids are good. Good. So, all right. So now, <laughs> going back to your story. So Zebraheads, so you're launched. I'm launched. You got an agent, big I got agency. An agent, I got a manager you're going out. Well, I don't think people realize. I don't think I realized until I looked at the filmography. I mean, you've been in like a fucking hundred movies. Yeah, I mean, one uh, way or the other. Yeah, good, bad, and indifferent. But yeah, I've I've worked nonstop since 1991, man, and I've I've had the fortune of doing a lot of, you know, great movies with a lot of great people and work with a lot of great d- directors and. You know, and and I've learned a tremendous amount. And, and you know, like the fifth movie you did was True True Romance, that which was is big. some well, some everyone loves that movie. I watched it recently. I got it on Blu-ray. Did You're you really? great in that movie. Thank you, thank you. It's a good movie. It's, really, a, but it's a sweet part. It's a sweet. That's really who I was at the time. Like yeah. I was like an actor who wanted a break, and 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 that's why I got the part because they were casting that film, and it was actually, uh, you know, that was at the time. When scripts were scripts, they mm-hmm. weren't sent. They weren't um, emailed, yeah. so you'd get them. And the word around town was was big about the true romance script for the yeah. actors. And 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 Quentin Tarantino had had just done Reservoir Dogs, yeah. and then around this time, um, Natural Born Killers had come out, yeah, which so he's he wrote. Hot. Yeah, he's hot and it's exciting. And so this true romance script that he's directing is being passed around and like you know all my actor friends were were auditioning for one part or another and um 
And, uh, you know, we started hearing, oh, well, Christopher Walken's going to play the mobster. Oh, shit, the mobster. And they're like, well, Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette, who had just come off a really good part in the Indian Runner, yeah. they're going to play. Oh, that's cool. And then um, Dennis Hopper's going to play. Oh, shit, Dennis Ho- Oh, wait, so Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken are going to be doing that scene? Yeah, that fucking eight-page scene. And so there was just this anticipation. And I had auditioned for um, a, a mobster part. Yeah. And, and, what, and, Gandolfini's part? No, just sm- a small part. Yeah. A small part. I'll actually say which part it was because I never like to sort of discredit, but it was a part that my friend and actor friend Kevin Corrigan. Yeah, oh yeah, Ke- yeah, yeah. So that he wound up playing. So I had auditioned for that part and I was in the loop for that, and and I was like, you know, like I interviewed him. He's good dude. Yeah, great guy. And and me and Kevin have worked with each other a lot. Like he was in my first movie Zebrahead, and Kevin had already done. He'd done Goodfellas. He had done Men Don't Leave, and I was like, yo, that's Kevin. You know, like yeah, I knew yeah, who he knew was. Him. Yeah, and and he just like working on, on a film with Kevin. Mm-hmm was kind of like the first time when Zebrahead was the first actor I saw act the way I wanted to act. Yeah. Like he exploded. He had a small part in Zebrahead, but he exploded at me, you know, when when cameras were rolling. And I was like, yo, this guy's like Al Pacino. Yeah. And I was like, I want to do that. And then we had pizza and like, you know, we became friends and the rest is, you know, friendship history. But um, the casting director who was um, Mary Vernou, she was the casting assistant while they were trying to cast True, uh, Dick Ritchie. Yeah, she 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 told my agent, "Yo, you that guy, Michael Rappaport guy, should come in and read. Like he's like that." So I went in and read on a Saturday with the great Tony Scott, and I remember behind me was all the photos of who the people were going to be in the movie. Yeah. So it was, you know, like I'm looking up there and they were like Xerox copies of Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Val Kilmer, yeah. Samuel Jackson, uh, James Gandolfini, who was nobody at the time. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and so on and so on. And I'm like, and I told Tony Scott, who passed away, I said, please don't let me leave here until I get this part. Yeah. And he said, all right, mate, you know, I'll, uh, you know, we'll try. And, and I just read and read and read. But like, I think just like that earnestness was really... Made sense. Well, you the, probably had to peel back. It's a pretty vulnerable part. Yeah, it's who I. It's who I was. A sweet I was, kid, almost. Sweet kid who just wanted his big break. And right. you know, and you're so naturally filled with bluster. I imagine Tony was like, "All right, turn it down. Yeah, turn yeah. it down." A well, at the time, you know, I don't know what the fuck was going through my head, but I knew like somehow, like this was for me. Yeah. And 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 there's been certain moments in 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 my career, like Zebrahead was the first one. And 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 true romance was the second one. I was like, this is for me. This yeah. is my part. Right. And and I got it. And 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 doing that film was like, you know, I would show up on set when I wasn't in the movie because you you <laughs> yeah, know like, you got like it. I was on set when they did the the dick the um the Christopher Walken Dennis Hopper scene and right. James Gandolfini who, yeah yeah who, he was just a guy like me we were like I can't fucking believe this and Gary Oldman was like I remember being in the makeup trailer and Gary Oldman was over there doing like a hair test because he was and I was like what the fuck they were actually considering me for that part at one point wow that's a big part that's a I, heavy part yeah, right so it was just a privilege to be in it and 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 Tony Scott was so welcoming with all my thoughts and ideas and I was going to be Marlon Brando and I, I have these ideas and I'm going to create and some of the things he would say, no, no, no. And some of the things he would say, yeah, 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 try it. But he never told me to shut the fuck up. Right. And then you, but before that, Poetic Justice, that was a pretty big movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Was that was that Janet Jackson? Tupac. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I just had a little part in it, but I wanted to be in it because I loved Tupac and I knew how special he was like a lot of other people. Like, you knew you were around somebody who was special. And yeah. then like I was at just to go to the the cast reading and the rap party like fucking Janet Jackson was there. And this is when Janet Jackson was like Janet Jackson. Yeah. And Tupac was there and Regina King, 
who uh, these are your heroes. I'm like, yo, and John Singleton, who had just done Boys in the Hood. I'm like, yo, Great. this is, you know, I'm 25 years old, so I went. I remember just like, I don't care how big the part is. It was with Tupac. Uh, I went to the fucking cast read through, and I went to the rap party. And I remember the I remember the rap party like it was, like Janet Jackson was like, oh, I saw True Romance, I love that. And I was like, this is fucking crazy here. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> and Single Tupac, pen. and I got a Polaroid with Tupac. You still got it? I still got it. That's of sweet, man. Yeah. So Singleton's great. I think that that movie <laughs> Baby Boy, yeah, is a fucking masterpiece. Me too. I love that fucking Me too. movie. Really Boys in the Hood is good too. Yeah, he's but, discovered so many, so many great actors. Yeah, I, I just, I, I love his work. I'd like to talk. He's another guy. See, we bring it up. I'd like to talk to that I guy. Can connect you with him, and he's a good dude. Easy, good yeah. dude. Like low key, loves movies, loves talking, loves actors, loves film. Oh and wow! Just a, like a, like a, like a good. The same dude he's always been. A right. good dude. Oh, well, really that... smart. He's like a fucking encyclopedia. He's like one of these encyclopedias. Film of... nerd? Of course. Yeah, yeah. He's a nerd nerd. I'll tell him this to his face. I love John. <laughs> he's a nerd nerd who's also a film nerd. Oh, I'd love to fucking talk to that guy. He's good people. All right, so you do that. So you do True Romance. And there's a lot of movies here that I haven't seen. Some of them aren't that good, Mark. Some of them aren't worth seeing. Some of them might be good, but listen... You don't never know. You but never you'll know take what, the gig. I'll take the fucking gig, and you go into it thinking everything's going to be gone with the wind. They ain't gone with the wind. Kiss Toledo goodbye uh, up there. Yeah. That's one of the things you've never seen. Don't fucking see it. It's a piece of shit. Great cast, but I, you know, it was with Christine Taylor, Christopher Walken, a lot of piece of shit. Why, you know, you never know. But you, but you're one of those guys that's going to re- represent himself no matter what. You, there's a baseline to your personality that's not going to go away. You're not going to disappear. So anything you're in, you're like, that's Michael Rappaport doing some variation of that guy. I'm not. Uh, listen, when when you're just an actor, character actor, right? Yeah, but but when you're just an actor, yeah. you're solely responsible. Uh, and you could drive yourself crazy, and this is where I think actors get a, a bad rap, uh, because especially the more and more successful you get, and the more pressure. But when you're just an actor, like the only thing you can control is your performance, and that even that at the end of the day, a director and editor have the the, the final say right, in it. Right. Um. You know, but I could see like why stars. You know, they get you hear about like stars fighting with studios or stars fighting with directors. Yeah. Like. Your fucking ass is on the line, and your 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 pedigree and your 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 ability to continue to star in movies is on the line. And the business of show business, you know, I could see how like you know Brando was the most famous for sort of despising it yeah. outwardly and openly first. Right? How it could drive you fucking nuts. Yeah. You know, because you become a commodity, and then you can't even control what you're doing. So, but but for me, like, you know, I go into you know, especially when I was young. Everything was like just earnest, you know. Like I was like, "Kiss Toledo goodbye," that piece of shit, uh, amongst other things. And, and we went into it thinking it's going to be this great mobster comedy, and it didn't turn out that way. But at the time, you don't know. But you were in like Higher Learning. That was a big movie. Yep. And Basketball Diaries. That was a good movie. Basketball Diaries. Working with Leonardo, right? A little DiCaprio. He he went on to bigger and better things. And Green. He did all right. He did all right for himself. <laughs> the the funny thing about Higher Learning is that. Um, he was actually going to be in Higher Learning. The, the original cast for Higher Learning was Leonardo DiCaprio, Tupac, yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow. And I uh-huh. was going to play a different part. And then for some fucking strange reason, DiCaprio decided to do some movie about a sinking ship. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck he was thinking. I don't know what came of that thing. What a mistake that was. Well, was some fucking yeah, piece of shit he wanted to crazy. do about a ship and James Cameron. Some, and Some guys just make the wrong choices. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking about, Mark. But 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 anyway, so... so uh, you know, but yeah, yeah. I mean, decay, basketball dies, and, and then you work with Woody, <clears throat> Woody Allen. That was a big deal. Yeah, of course, it was a big deal. That yeah. was a big movie, Oscar winner with uh, uh, what's Mira her name? Savino, Mira Savino, Mighty Aphrodite. Yeah, and that was 
big for me. It was exciting. Um, Most of the people I talk to that work with him, he's he's pretty low key, right? He kind of counts on you to do what you do. He counts on you to do. He doesn't count on you to do what you do. You know what he wants? Yeah. Uh, the first thing he wants is he doesn't want to talk about him being Woody Allen. That's yeah. number one. Yeah. Like, say so he doesn't want any sort of fanboy shit about like what was it like when you did Manhattan. He doesn't yeah. want. He doesn't want to talk about himself. But, you know, I got him to talk very open and in sort of regularly about basketball. Yeah. Um, fast food in New York. Chinese restaurants and jazz music because mm-hmm. I knew going into it don't talk to him about any sh- don't ask his him movies he doesn't want to talk about that but if you talk to him just regular and you're not like you know extra giddy with him he'll talk to you <laughs> but but like as far as his process like he writes a script it's actor proof you know the way he shoots things is, is very contained he doesn't do a lot of coverage um, everything looks beautiful he doesn't rehearse anything so like we would have like you know five six seven page scenes, and he would be like, "Let's just shoot it and see what happens." And like I mean, I'm talking about like you don't run the lines. Yeah. Like he would kind of like do this part over here, do this part over here, walk there, walk back, and then we'll see what happens. And and a lot of times it just works. Yeah. And um and but there's there's definitely a method to the madness. Yeah. And the method to the magic. Yeah. But he just sort of scales down all the bullshit. Right. And at the at the time I was like, you know, what the fuck? He's got complete it? control and he's complete not complete control. Yeah, yeah, and that makes a big difference. Great people, you know, in the film, the writing anyone can do a good performance in yeah. a Woody Allen film. Right. The writing itself is so good. Yeah, no, there's a, there's been quite a few good ones. And then like uh <clears throat> Copland, what well, that was the next. That that should have been a huge movie. I kind of like it. It's a weird it's a good ass movie. movie. Yeah, did you get to work? Did you get to talk to Sly and everybody? All of them. Yeah, all of them. And I was like a fucking kid in a candy store. Yeah, like I was. Leota, Ray Liotta, De Niro. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone, and like Sylvester Stallone, you know, like like Rocky was the first movie I ever saw that moved me. Yeah, I was six when I saw it. Yeah, but somehow it got me on an emotional level. And then De Niro, and then Harvey Keitel, and but but to be on a set, New York guys, I couldn't fucking believe that. Like I couldn't believe is, is is Sly from New York or Philly? Philly, Philly, yeah. But you Close. know, he, he, he like he was like a fixture in my life, and yeah. De Niro was a fixture in my life. And the first day on the set of Copland, like I'm on the set with Sylvester Stallone, Ray Liotta, Harvey Keitel, and and fucking Robert De Niro in in, in a movie. We're shooting down downtown by one police plaza, and I'm just like floating, yeah, floating through air. Like I can't <laughs> yeah. believe that I that I've done this. Yeah. And and you know, and I knew to keep my fan shit, you know, in you know, this is before <laughs> yeah. cell phones and all this stuff, but right. like I, I remember like, you know, like, you know, writing in my journal, like, right. you know, in the thing, like, I can't believe I'm going on set. I'm about to do this scene with De Niro and Stallone. And it, it was just a great experience that James Mangold directed it and you know, the film turned out good and it was there was so much excitement and hype on it because it was gonna be Sylvester Stallone's return and I'm gonna gain weight and all this stuff and you know, I mean, it was just a, it was a, it was fun. Peter Berg was in it. I know Berg. Yeah, so I, I mean, lived with him briefly. Did you really? In Culver City when we were, when he was starting out, I was starting out. That's Steve funny. Brill, me, okay. Steve Brill. Oh shit! And Berg briefly lived with each other. That's crazy. And they pushed me out. They they got rid of you. <laughs> yeah, they That's got a rid crazy of bunch right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they, we were kids. But uh, so, did you talk to De Niro? Were you able to sort of <clears> get a little? You know, we had a little little exchanges. I knew better than to fucking again. Like I just like I don't have Tourette's, but I felt like I had a raging bull Tourette's. Yeah. Like I was just gonna be like raging bull. Yeah. Taxi driver. Travis Mickle. <laughs> casino. Like, just, I, but I kept it under control. Um. You know, we had funny exchanges. He was very polite. Very like I treated him like a professional. He treated me like a professional. Right. So when I was in front of him, I knew the best thing to do was to just bring it to him. Just be a pro and be as good as I could possibly. Be. Stallone. 
was a different story. <laughs> like I was with Stallone, <laughs> like Rocky one through six. Yeah. Every single line from every single movie, <laughs> we would do. I would do Paulie lines. Yeah, he would do Rocky lines. I would do Rocky lines. He would do Adrian lines. I would do his lines. He would do other people's. Lines. Like he loved it. Yeah, he answered every single one of my <laughs> Rocky fantasy questions. Yeah, Burgess Meredith questions, my Carl Weathers questions, my Stallone. Every single fucking question. Yeah, to the point where James Mangold was like, "Do not talk to him." <laughs> Don't fucking speak to him. This is Copland. This isn't Rocky Three. He's not talking about Clubber Lang. Don't talk to him on the set unless it's within the character. So it was, but it was, he was cool and very generous and totally like, you know, appreciated it and never like annoyed and like, he was cool. Did you become friends? <laughs> you know, until the last day and I haven't seen him since. I saw him at a, 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 a basketball game two years later and he looked at me like I was an usher. But uh, that, he, listen, he's, you know, and I get that now. Did you see the new one? Loved it. I got to see it. For for Sylvester Stallone to get nominated for Best Supporting Actor for essentially Rocky Seven, yeah. it's almost like, you know, like it's a Rocky story within Rocky Seven. Yeah. But he deserves it, and, and he was great in Creed. I loved Creed, and I was as cynical as anybody going into it. I had fucking tears coming down my face. Sure. It's it's great. Creed's uh, great, and Michael B. Jordan is great. And, and, and the thing about Creed that it does is that it serves... Uh, it creates a new movie yeah. for 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 all of us. Kind of, it's not kind of. It, re- it refers to the old stuff, and you get the the old Rocky. Magic. And also for your kids, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right, then let's <clears throat> let's get a bamboozled. That you were great in that. That's Thank a you. great movie. Spike Lee. I yep. love that movie. You it's know a why? Good movie. You know why I love that movie? Because I mean, he shot it on digital. I yep. think one of the first movies on digital. Yeah, and I know there was, but but. The way they they produced the minstrel show yes. as television, yes. and they showed it with those colors mm. in it. It was disturbing yes. and beautiful. Like you know, that's what it would look like. And how different is that? Yo, from like it was powerful to me. Yes. Just specifically the way they shot those minstrel shows. Yep. It was yep. fucking devastating. Yeah. No, it was very very. Uh... Was that hard for you to do to go against character a little bit? Um. Because you were kind of the asshole, the insensitive yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of. Like, nah, I I loved it. You yeah. know, like as, as an actor, like you love that shit. Like, and, you know, and Spike was good to work Spike with. Spike was Spike is very similar to Woody. Like he's very much like he loves the actor to do his thing. Yeah. Uh, very uh, sort of you know um you know he empowering and 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 lets you do do your thing. And because it was one of the first films on digital, I mean, I'm talking about digital. Like it was small little cameras around. Yeah, the room. yeah. We had cameras. Like we would do fucking ten page scenes. There were long scenes. And we'd be done like that because there was, I was like, did you get the coverage? He was like, yeah, there's a camera there. And I was like, oh shit. You <laughs> right. know, it was like there was camera sur- surveillance cameras almost. And and uh, if you watch the film again, and it, it definitely deserves a second watching or a first watching, you'll, you'll see that like the way it was shot was very unique and a- exciting cast and a Spike Lee movie in New York. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm proud of that movie. You know, it's and then cool you movie. didn't. You, I didn't realize. You, I didn't realize till now because I'm. You know, this is how I do it. But it's you fine. did. You did two with. You did two with Woody. Two. Yeah, that's Small fucking. That crooks. doesn't happen all the time. No, I know. I got invited back. Now, what? now, now, I'm concerned that I didn't get invited back for the third time. I'm like, did I fuck up? Did I, did I step on his toes? But <laughs> no, I'm sure I'll get a chance. What? But, but there's so fucking many movies. What other ones? That, other than the ones we talked about here, really made a, a mark on you and who you work with and what happened. I mean, Beautiful Girls is a movie people talk to me about. Uh, that's a that's a good movie. Yeah. Um, 
And then, you know, and I directed a couple of docs recently. I directed a, a doc called Beach Rhymes in Life about the group of Tribe Called Oh, that's Quest. right. That's pretty recent, right? Yeah, and that was a big thing for me to do and to pull off. And, and you know, you got the Give Me, Sel Give me Shelter post Yeah, yeah. There. That's a film that I reference a lot making that film because Give Me Shelter to me is is perfection. Oh, yeah, it's the greatest. Yeah, and, I, and I, I love that poster. But, you know, that was a big deal because I had always wanted to direct something. And... um. You know, I just kind of fell into to doing the tribe movie, and, and you know, the success from that was cool, and you know, just everything it took, and 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 the challenge of it, and the frustration of it, and the, the work of it. But you know, it, it it won awards. It's fucking certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, which you know, you're like, yo, we're certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> that means and something. And and you know, so it's you know, it's, it's been a bunch of shit, and you know, and I, and I've been fortunate. You know, to do what I do, you know, and, and, you know, and do good TV shit to do, you know, direct shit. And, and now the, the, you know, I started doing, you know, I got to tell you, you're one of my inspirations for doing my, my podcast, yeah. the I Am Rappaport podcast. How often you do it? Twice a week. Oh yeah. You got the, the model. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, and, and like, just even like, you know, the, the, cause I was going to call it the motherfucking yeah. I Am Rappaport yeah. podcast. Right. But. You know, I didn't think that would be sellable. No, no. Not that not. even the IMF. Even WTF is a little bit of an obstacle. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, like, I just, you know, like, being with you and doing this show with you means a lot to me because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, you know this, you you, you, you know, podcasts are becoming so part of the the culture now. Yeah, yeah. But you've been doing the shit for so long. But what I wanted to ask you is how, what made you start doing it when nobody was doing it? Desperation. Like, what do you mean? My stand-up career was not happening. You know, my acting career wasn't happening. You know, uh, the radio thing was over. And, I, you know, I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. Right. And, and that's really what happened. All we committed to was two episodes a week, no matter what, new episodes. We drop them like clockwork and see what happens. At the beginning, it wasn't even an interview show. It was sort of a mishmash of things. The idea of WTF was really about a theme, that we were going to have segments and stuff. And then it just sort of, once I moved out here, I set up in here. We were doing a third act occasionally. That was a comedy okay. piece. And then that just started to go away, and it became what it became. That's crazy, man. Yeah, it was just persistence and sticking with it, and you, there was no way to make money at it for right. a couple of years. And, right. and then all of a sudden, it was just good cosmic timing for once in my life. You know, I had a certain skill set that I didn't think I had. Right. You know, I would never have thought that I'd be thought of as this interviewer or a good right. interviewer. Right. I still don't like the word interview. I like to have conversations. Right. And it just sort of grew. It just, I happened to be there at the, you know, at the first wave of popularity of this thing. Right. Well, that's and cool, def man. And define my little nook of it. Right. I, right. Yeah, and I, I'm happy that other people do it. I'm happy I helped define the medium for some people or gave some people hope that they can succeed at it yeah but, you know it's like anything else there's a lot of them out there now and yeah see what happens yeah well it's it's, it's i mean it's a good time and, and and honestly you know like with all the 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 bullshitting and shit talking and all that stuff that we're doing like i i really respect you know like like what you've done and and and, and i i'm sure other people feel like you've inspired them because you definitely inspire me because you, you 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 do make it a conversation and you do do it in layman's terms which yeah. is something that I could definitely respond to because when it gets too highfalutin, yeah, I'm like. But it's also a personality-driven thing, and you've <clears> got that in spades for fuck's sake, you know. <laughs> so, what, what's the angle of yours? You know, I just talk shit. You know, we talk about you know, you, you know, guess you have a sidekick. I have what's guess, the structure? My sidekick is actually my best friend. I call yeah. him the Black Ed McMahon, but his name is Gerald Moody. Yeah, and uh, you know, he's been my best friend. We've been friends since like 1982. And at first, it was just me. And then I was like, Yo, I'm doing this podcast. Like, come, come when I'm recording one day. This was early when we were doing it. We've only been doing it a year. Yeah. Um, and and I was like, Yo, well, I'm gonna ask you some things, and you 
just do what you do. And he was totally comfortable. And then I was like, yo, you got to do it with me. But we, we talk shit. We have fun. You know, we do the sick fuck of the week, yeah. which is a, a, an award that is, is, is earned, not given. So you can't just be a sick fuck. You got to be a special kind of sick fuck. Yeah. Um, one of the segments that people like a lot is famous white people with no lips, yeah. which is again, and, and then Charlie Sheen actually inspired me to give, yeah. he was a double winner because he was the first person to win the sick fuck of the week and a famous white person with no lips. <laughs> so like, I like to have fun, talk about music, sports, and, and just enjoy, I like interviewing, um, but only if it's somebody that I really you know, I'm curious yeah, and yeah, excited yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So you mix it up. You got I mix some it up. Comedy segments and yeah, some themes. Exactly, exactly. And, and how's it, it going? It's going good, man. People it's coming, going, people coming around. Co people are coming around, and it's fun. And you know, for me, it's it's fun, and and at times it's challenging because you know, um, sometimes you're like, oh shit, I gotta record. And, well, yeah. But 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 not like challenging. Like I gotta go like build a, a house with like no, you know, but you still gotta show up for it, and you don't want to you know autopilot something that you're in charge of. Exactly, because yeah. you know that's the thing that I like about it it's like you know you can't i can't although i'll find a way to complain about anything because yeah. that's what i do like i'll just i'll complain about the podcast that i'm doing <laughs> that i have total control over because that's just what jews do we just tend to do that especially abrasive big mouth uh you know uh, uh jews I, I got my own version of that <laughs> exactly so but 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 i just i just love doing it and yeah. and you know and and and, and you know it, it, people people have loved doing it and you know we're carving out a little niche and i try to keep it honest we don't fact check anything yeah that's one of the things i pride myself that'll, that'll get listeners excited oh yeah well, there's it's the it's the only non fact checking Oh yeah, podcast. Get a lot of emails that way. A lot of emails that way, and, and there's really no accountability yeah, yeah. because it's a non-fact checking podcast. Sure, and then people are just like, "You fucking idiot!" Right, and then you get to read that on the air. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I didn't know that to begin with, but I was like, you know, I didn't want to do it in front of a computer because when I first, when you first do a podcast, like you were probably like, you're just like you're talking into a mic, yeah. alone, yeah. It's Which is like hard, a crazy person. Hard to master that. Well, it's an amazing skill is what it is. I yeah. mean, if you think about radio broadcasters right. who do that for hours, I mean, it's like, it's a fucking skill. And once you learn how to do that, that mo I remember the moment where I'm like, I can, I can own a mic on my own right. for a couple hours if I have to. Right, if I, you have to. Right, on radio. Right. And and that day was sort of like, all right, that, it's like an amazing skill it's set It's liberating. To have. It's, it is. It's liberating. So so that's one of the things when I say fun and challenging, yeah. like finding that within me and, and, you know, and trying to just make your point of view honest and genuine without being TMI, yeah. without some, telling too much. I don't mind too much. I mean, but, but you yeah, could be like style. too much. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like too much. Well, you don't want to be sad. You don't want to be sad, <laughs> pathetic, or, you know, like, you know, like, you just don't want it. Like, yeah. you have to find, like, you know, yeah. what the parameters are. Like, sure. I'm being 100% honest, but not 150% honest. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to drag you into my shit, so I'm going to stop there. Right, but I want to drag you in, but not totally <laughs> yeah. drag you in it with me. Like, yeah, yeah, I want yeah, you to yeah. feel my pain, but don't, you know, I don't want you to live it. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so, like, yeah. just kind of, so I, I love doing it. And, 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 you know, in between things, um... You know, it's it's a fun thing. I yeah. just I, I enjoy doing it, and and it's exciting. Well, and, good man. Yeah, well, congratulations so, on yeah. that. Are you doing any movies right now? I just finished a movie um, with Liev Schreiber. I feel like the title might change, but it's called The Bleeder. It's about Chuck Webner, who's actually uh, the person that really inspired Rocky. He's a yeah. boxer that it was sort of a you know a, 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 a ham and egg boxer. Yeah. He fought Muhammad Ali. He knocked Muhammad Ali down. He went almost went the full distance. Essentially, that was what um, his career was defined by until the actual movie Rocky came out. Uh -huh. And when the actual movie Rocky came out, and Stallone was talking about. 
being inspired by Chuck Webner, it essentially drove the real Rocky, the real Chuck Webner, crazy because he was like, that's my fucking life. And uh, it's a great script. Liev is fucking awesome and uh, a great story. Is he still alive, Webner? He's still alive. So he must be feeling good about it. Yeah, man. And he's literally like the real Rocky. Like his, you know, like his whole life. And, it, it, you know, like the way that movie affected him, the success of Rocky and him being like, wait a minute, that's fucking me. And then no one's sort of, they're like, you know, the Academy Awards. He's like, well, I won. And they're like, you didn't win shit. Rocky won. Yeah. And it affected this guy. Well, and did Sly ever reach out to yeah, him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sly reached out and there was stuff... I don't want to say too much or say too it's little. It's in the movie? Well, it's in the movie. Not that I'm giving away things, but there was legality things. Right. But it's all stuff that's it's public. You know, it's, it's out there. Like, yeah. they, they came to a settlement because when you look at it, like it was, he talked about it. You know, when, when Stallone did Rocky, he didn't know it was going to be Rocky. It was a million dollar movie. Yeah. It was like a fucking independent movie starring a guy named Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Who was not Sylvester Stallone at the time. But, you know, that was one of the things. Right. I'm going to star in my movie. Like, we don't, we're going to get James Conn or fucking yeah. Paul Newman. And he's like, no, that's the way we're going to make the movie so that's a great story but that movie seeing that and hearing this guy talk about well i was inspired by chuck webner fighting muhammad ali it drove the real guy crazy in a way right so this movie's about that part of his life and 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 um it's a good you know it sounds interesting yeah it's good it's good directed it this guy named Philippe Fardou, he's a he's a Montreal Canadian. Yeah, uh, he's a French Canadian. Yeah, he's a Montreal Canadian. But so I can't. I'm not pronouncing his last name good. But he did a, you know a few movies and he's good and it's it's good pedigree of people. In oh it. great! So you're working, man. You're I always can't working. complain, man. I'm not going wood. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Thanks for talking to me, buddy. Yo, I appreciate it, Mark. I, and and you know, like it's a privilege. And and, and I I'm, I'm gonna take this chair no, and, and no. put this fucking thing on eBay. No. Is that cool? No, no, no. Michael, okay. No. All right. Fuck it. All right. Yeah, All right I, cool. uh, maybe I'll give you. I'll find something. You can have all right well if there's a guy they should frisk me because i've been pocketing <laughs> shit the whole time like i'm thinking like maybe obama touched this maybe obama touched that for the first I ever give you anything be like yeah this is he touched, right yeah touch this piece of paper like, this yeah. bag here this yeah. this target yeah. bag he, he wore that, spit on his into head. that. Yeah. right <laughs> all right buddy thank you all right that's it that was invigorating talking to michael rapaport is invigorating I like him. That was fun. Go to WTFPod.com. A lot of posters going out lately. I like the posters. Maybe you will too. Get hooked up with some JustCoffee.coop. Get the WTF blend. Get, you know, get on the mailing list. Go there. Go. Go. Guitar? Why not?